union town all down the line this is a union town a union town all down the line this is a union town this is president ron herrera inviting you to tune into welcome to union town a new podcast that delves into the everyday issues and iconic leaders in the labor movement. We get to know the backstories of workers and the journey of leaders from their first job to their greatest victory. The show covers every aspect of the Los Angeles labor movement from the desert to the sea. It's my honor to have on our podcast today the General President of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, James P. Hoffa. Hi, Mr. Hoffa. It's Ron here. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Hugo Romero. Hugo is on staff at the Federation. I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and being on this podcast. I know how busy you are, and I just want to tell you how much we appreciate it, Hugo and I. But I think uh, one of the things I want to start out with is, is something that you taught me, and that's communication. And we think here in Los Angeles, it's very valuable to union members, young and old, to hear from a living legend, hear from somebody who, you know, understands the labor movement, understands, you know, the Teamsters Union, and we just want to share history. I've had the opportunity, obviously, to be on your administration. You took me out of nowhere here in Los Angeles and made me who I am today, and I'm very proud of that. But I think that the general public here in Los Angeles has to know uh, the real person. I, I've told uh, my co-host Hugo a couple of stories about us. The last time we saw each other, we were at a thousand-person dinner in, here in Los Angeles pre-COVID. Uh, we had some pretty heavy hitters there, uh, and it was uh, the uh, Hoffa Scholarship. You know, I haven't had the opportunity to be in Washington, D.C. with you. And I didn't realize how much I would miss that. So this is the second best thing I could do is get you on uh, uh, an audio show here, a podcast with us, and, you know, just have a conversation. Won't, you know, it just won't be a serious one, just to get people to know you. But with that said, Mr. Hoff, I just want to introduce Hugo Romero, who is the co-host here, and give him a second to say a few words. Hugo? Hi, Mr. Hoffa. Well, first of all, as, as Ron mentioned, thank you. We've been talking about interviewing you for some time and going about different ways. And the best advice Ron gave me was just, he's a normal person, which is funny he says that because when I first met you, it was actually in Iowa. If you remember the Teamsters Votes event where you all had the primary Democratic candidates in a forum. And there was a line. There was a line of uh, folks autographs, badges, you know, the works, just waiting to say hi to you, waiting to get your autograph. I'm like, well, easy for you to say, Ron, <laughs> just a normal guy. That's the impression I got, you know. And, of course, when I met you, very humble, uh, very approachable. You know, we, we just hope to get uh, to know you a bit more through the podcast. So thank you for coming in. Well, you know, it's, it's great to be on this call. Thank you so much for letting me have the opportunity to talk to you know, everybody uh, out west and uh, talk about what we're doing here at the IBT. It all starts back in 90, 1998 when we were elected by the membership overwhelmingly. It was our time to rebuild the union, and we had a great team of people 
And I also had to reach out to other people. We had opposition and we said, let's join together. Let's have a big tent and let's join together to have one big union and basically rebuild this union. We were a union that was broke at the time, divided, people fighting amongst each other, brother against brother, sister against sister, local union against local union, joint council against joint council. Uh, you know, Ron lived that, Ron Herrera lived all that. And, and we realized that we couldn't go on that way. We had to rebuild this union and we had to be unified first. Uh, we were a union that was broken, didn't have a strike fund. One of the largest unions in North America didn't have a strike fund because of bad spending by our predecessors who we beat in the election. Basically didn't have any finances, didn't have any money to do anything, no money to organize. So we realized, how do we start rebuilding this union? And we started brick by brick. And it took a lot of great teamsters coming together to get that job done. And we finally started. And the road back has been unbelievable. I'm glad you said that because, you know, the mystique about the Teamsters is that we're this big, powerful union and nothing can hurt us. But like you said, in 1998, you had to rebuild something. We reached out to you as, as rank and file and officers to basically come and save us. And you definitely did that. And I say this uh, without any remorse and, and, or, or excuse, but you're the only person, you're the only man that could have did this. I've been in, the, in Washington, D.C. with you, and I see, you know, high-level politicians flock to you for pictures. And it's interesting because, you know, those of us that staff you have to become uh, photographers to take pictures of you and high-ranking uh, legislators. I was with you at the California legislature when session stopped. When you when you walk when we walked in, and then uh, all the assembly and and senators wanted to take pictures with you. So I'm glad that you're on this call. I you know I'm glad that you know the folks in Los Angeles and for that matter the nation can can hear who you you really really are. And it's, and it's interesting, especially California, because California really is the golden state because we have so many, you know, great people out there uh, that le realize we've got to do things for working people, for the middle class. We've got to rebuild the middle class. We've got to help those people that have fallen through the cracks that need help with basically funds that can help them get through difficult times. And you have such great politicians out there. And now you, you see... Uh, Vice President uh, you know, Kamala Harris running. You must be very, very proud of that. It, and it's just uh, amazing what we've been able to do out in California that maybe you can't do elsewhere. But we, they're so progressive out there. I'm very proud uh, to, to work with everybody else out there and work with you especially. But rebuilding the union was a big job. And, uh, and, and it, it, it's basically not only rebuilding the union, then we can deliver for the union. We can deliver good contracts. You know, the Teamsters Union has more than 1.4 million members. And a lot of people say, oh, they're all truck drivers. Well, we are basically A to Z, airline pilots to zookeepers. We have everything that you can think of. When you see your UPS driver, the guy with that brown outfit on, that's a UPS driver. And they're our largest employer. We have 325,000 members at UPS. They're our largest. L.A. is our largest joint council, joint council 42. 165,000 people. That's the largest joint council in the whole union. So you can be proud of what you had, uh, Ron Herrera, becoming head of the L.A. Fed. 
in addition to be a vice president of the International Union. That's incredible that you've done all that because it basically gives us a better way to try and help people that need our help. People are flocking to unions right now. You know, people like to say, oh, the number of members, number of people in the union percentage has gone down. But when you do a study, it shows that 65% of the people want to join a union. They want to say at work. They want to be able to contribute and have a say at work and want a better life. And uh, I know we're going to talk about Prop 22, but right now it's hard to get ahead. You know, what, where do you get a job today that's got good wages? There's a lot of jobs out there, but they're not good jobs. They're not the kind of jobs you can raise a family on and that you want to be part of. So you know, we've been able to do all this together, and uh, I'm just so proud of, of what our Teamsters have done, especially in California. So the job is not done yet. You know, We've got a lot of work to do. We realize there's a battle going on right now between the rich and the poor. And this election's about that right now. I mean, because let's face it, uh, they have President Trump has delivered for the rich people. Everybody got a pay cut. They got uh, cuts in their, their, their percentages and their dividends and everything else. They've got all kinds of breaks. He's delivered for them, but he hasn't delivered for the working people of this country. Jim, you mentioned the, the phrase war on workers. And I brag about that you coined that phrase in Detroit. But Hugo has a question for you about that because we were, Hugo and I were talking about that this morning. Yeah. One, did you coin it? If so, how did that come about? But also, just uh, I'm glad you touched on the president. And the right actually launched an attack on you in a 2011 speech that you gave that was quote unquote controversial, right? Which, you know, you look back on and I still don't see what was controversial about it. You said war on workers, and they said you instigated violence and, and what have you, but it has been a war on workers. Can you talk about that experience and the general term and how, you know, nine years after that speech, almost to the day, right, because that was a Labor Day speech, it's as relevant today as it was then? Absolutely, because we were in Labor Day in Detroit, and Detroit is the traditional launching place, going back to JFK, People want to announce to run for president, they come to Detroit. Detroit is the union capital of the world. And uh, we were at Labor Day. We had Obama there. And it was a great festive day, uh, a sunny day. And we were talking about what labor means today. This is our day. This is our Thanksgiving day. This is the day that we are you know, talking about what labor means to America, to the economy. And we were talking about being excited about the fact that we're madder than hell that these people are taking us on, that they've declared war on us, that they want to take away all we're working for. They want to take away our health care. They want to take away our wages. They want to have right to work. They work night and day to try and undermine what we are doing. And they do it through legislatures. You know, the old story is they got more money than us, but we've got the members and we've got the workers. So it's about mobilizing those people. And that's what I was talking about. There's a war on workers and we're madder in hell and we're not going to take it anymore. We're a matter of hell that they're basically taking away what people deserve in America right now. And that's what this is about. Every year we go around the country. We have battles in state after state where they introduce right to work, right to work, right to work, which basically undermines unions. And they've done that. I like to talk about Missouri. The first time the IBT working with our people out in Missouri, our members and all the unions out in Missouri, we put together a million dollars and they matched us for another million dollars. And for the first time after the legislature passed right to work, within one year, we repealed it 
and got rid of right to work. That was an accomplishment. That's fighting back. That's the war on workers. And that's mobilizing workers right now. You know, there is a, a battle between the rich and the poor. They talk about, oh, you're talking about class warfare. You're darn right I'm talking about class warfare. There are the rich people that want to keep it and keep people who are working every day and keep the workers down. You know, there's a great quote, you know, that there's a, they say there's a war on workers uh, right now going on. Because they talk about, oh, you know, there's, the, there's class warfare. There's the rich versus the poor. And Warren Buffett said, and, and we're winning <laughs> because he said the rich are winning because they've got more money to do legislation and things like Prop 22 to try and take away what we have, to make a gig economy where you're on your own. Well, guess what? You don't have any power by yourself. The only way you have power is you're with the union. So I give a speech sometimes and I'll you know, have a couple hundred people at a union hall and I'll say, I'll point to one person in the front. How much power do you have by yourself? And he looks around and he says, well, I don't have any power. You can't walk into the boss and demand more. You make health care. You can't do anything. You're lucky. They think, you know, you're lucky to have a job is what they tell you. But that's not the way we believe. We believe that when you walk in there, and I, you, and I point out to the rest of the people in the room, but when we take all the 200 people in this room together, that's power. That's what a union's about. And I said, that's what we need right now. And that's what I was talking about on that great day in 2011. We're madder in hell, and we're basically fighting back. And it's time for us to fight back and to defeat these people that want to take away from the people, the needy, the people that want to have a decent life. And we are going to lead that fight. That's great. You know, it's it's ironic that, what was it, well, five years later after that speech, they, the right ended up choosing their president and someone that constantly and to this day right instills violence and and you saw what he did at the debate with president biden and, and telling right-wing extremists and white nationalists to stand by and it's just the irony and just a lot of the stuff the right is not lost on, on a lot of us earlier you um you touched on ron i'm proud of him with kamala harris we've been joking with uh ron about how pretty soon they're going to have to pay residuals on him because he's showing up on all these Biden-Harris ads and at the DNC. And, and it feeds into this, you know, mistake of, like, not regular person, but we actually did a very similar interview with Ron, as we were doing with you today, about being regular people. And one of the things people have been bringing up is Ron surfed, Ron did this, Ron was sports guy. And as I understand it, you and Ron have that in common. You also played football and you're a big-time athlete, and to this day, a big Detroit Lions fan, where there's the one thing I'll publicly disagree with you on uh, in the NFL teams. But can you talk about that and, and your early sports days and playing football? Oh, sure. I'd be more than happy to. But, you know, that's a long, long time ago, but I, I have a lot of great memories. You know, I grew up playing sports, and when I was a young, young man, you know, we had a, a field next to our house, and it was big enough to have a, a baseball diamond, and all the kids flocked down to our house because they wanted to play baseball. In the fall, we played football, touch football. And, you know, that's where I started you know, my athletic career. And uh, I got to be pretty good at football. And, uh, and, and it was all state and all city in, in high school. And I went on to play at Michigan State. I wasn't a big star at state, but I had a great opportunity there. My coach was Duffy Doherty. And we played with, you know, a lot of famous players that went on. It went on to great things in the NFL. And uh, it was my honor. I look back on those days and say those were great days because you know, what I learned is 
I learned teamwork. I learned, you know, being part of a team, having goals. And I've used that all my life to say everything I do is we got to do it together. And we got to all think alike. We got to have an idea. We take good ideas, we put them together, and we go on the field. And that's what football taught me. It taught me uh, teamwork. It taught me having goals, working hard, getting in shape, and going out and accomplishing a goal. And that's what I do every day running the union. So there are things that come over from my athletic times that today are just as relevant because it teaches you how to think. I think as a, you know, and not as an individual, I think is how do we things do as a group? And a union is a group. A union is people together to accomplish a goal. And that comes from my early years playing football. And it paid me a tremendous dividend today that I have those ideas in my mind. That's great. Yeah, it's funny. We, we talked about that and the role sports play in, in lives. And I know that's, uh, Ron mentioned, that's where he gets his competitive nature from. And it feeds into a lot of the work we do. What do you think about the Lions this year? Oh, the Lions are in trouble this year. I don't know. We've won. We, we, we beat Arizona. You know, I've had season tickets for the Lions for 50 years. Wow. And uh, for the first time, I didn't renew them because I knew there wasn't going to be <laughs> any football because of the coronavirus, and I was right. But uh, I watch them on TV, and I'm still a Lions fan, and I uh, I keep hoping against hope that somehow we're going to turn it around. But, you know, I keep on saying next year we're going to win, but it's getting longer and longer, and I'm getting older and older. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm still a Lions fan, and I hope that they win some games this year and be respectable. Well, look, if there was hope for the Chicago Cubs, there's hope for the Lions, you know. Yeah, that's right. And we're like that. <laughs> Mr. Hoff, I want to touch on something, something that um, you've instilled in me personally, and uh, that's courage. And courage of conversation and issue, uh, and not to be censored. Uh, you've allowed me to speak my mind uh, on social issues, on ethnic issues. You've been out here in Los Angeles and, and spoke on... Uh, immigration. But right now, the hotbed in the country, obviously, is systemic racism and, and ethnic discrimination. And it's one thing that you've never, ever shied away from. You have a legacy in, in blood of a civil rights person, a civil rights leader in your own right uh, because of your dad. The thing that I wanted you to expand on is, is just what I said, you, you know, the, what you've taught me, because that's a part of you that doesn't get out enough, because people are afraid to have that conversation. People are, you know, they shy away from it because it may not be politically, you know, popular. But I've marched on the streets of Memphis, Tennessee with you. You sent me to the Pettus Bridge on its 50th anniversary. And so you're, you know, expanding our caucuses, you're expanding our, our human rights department. But tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, our, our talk with, the, you know, basically talking about uh, racial injustice goes back to my father. And in my office, and I know you've seen it, we have a great picture of my father with Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, with Walter Ruther at, at a memorial service for Viola Louisa, who was a good friend of my dad's. Uh, she was the wife of a business agent for one of our local unions in Detroit, and she was a freedom worker, and she believed in going down and helping a black people have justice in the South, and she was murdered, and the Teamsters Union put up a $100,000 reward 
at that time to try and find out what happened. And we had a memorial service. And we have been tied, and my father has been was very, very close with Dr. King. He marched with Dr. King, and we were champion, especially because of what happened to Viola Liuzzo. So these are things that part of our heritage. And since that time, we have always been working you know, for racial justice, for ethnic justice in our country, because we have to make sure that everybody is treated equally. And now more than ever, with what's going on with, uh, with Floyd, George Floyd, and all the different things going on are unbelievable today. And we've got to find a way to make sure that we basically get this country straightened out. And I think we're on the cusp of doing that. And I think that what we're doing is on the right track. And whether it's discrimination with regard to ethnic or with regard to race, it's wrong in America. And what we've got to do in America is to make sure we have justice for everybody. And that's going to be the goal of our union. So not only do we negotiate good contracts, not only do we fight to make sure people have free from being misclassified, but we're also active in the halls of, of, of the government everywhere, whether it's in Washington, D.C. or Sacramento. And we're working night and day to make sure we have justice for all. And only that time will we have a true America. You know, what a way to build on that legacy. And I want to tie this to one of the things you did, right? Because so I'm, I'm obviously in the political department here at the Federation, and, and we all know what goes in into endorsements, but particularly early endorsements. And you were an early endorser of President Barack Obama, first black president in the country, which, you know, at the time, to be an early endorser and take a chance and obviously go against Hillary Clinton was a big deal. What went into that decision? You know, what, what drove that decision? That was an amazing time that we, and, and now you're talking about 2007, when we had to make tough decisions. We had Hillary Clinton running, if you recall. Yep. And we had Barack Obama, and I sat down with Barack Obama, and I said, what's your view of the future? And he says, I want to make sure we have justice. And, and he was a great president for us. He did a great job for us. And I had to make the choice. And I talked to a number of people. I talked to people that I respect. And I said, you know, because I didn't know him. I didn't know him well. He was uh, a state senator before that. He really had not. I think he was a one-termer uh, as a United States senator. So he really didn't have much of a track record. But I was impressed by meeting him, that uh, he had a vision. He was smart. And he was different. And so we said, we are going to help get this man elected. And he started talking about our issues. He talked about unions, how we have to make our unions strong, how we have to change NAFTA so we have justice for everybody, how we have to make sure that people have a chance for a good life in America. He talked about the American dream, and that's what I believed in. So I got together. We talked to our executive board. We shared our views on who we should endorse. And it was unanimous that the Teamster executive board said, we're going to be the first big union that announced for Barack Obama. And we were the first big union. And I remember I went on CNN and he was uh, the, the president was doing a debate down in Texas. And I flew there to be with him to make the announcement. I did it on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. And it was really amazing. It rocked everybody that the Teamsters come out, the first big union to come out for Barack Obama. And that the rest is history. We campaigned night and day for him. And we were successful in a very close election. So we did the right thing, but 
I'll never forget the inauguration day that I was here in Washington, D.C. on a cold, cold uh, January day when we had the had the inauguration. I'm telling you, the people that came here, there were millions of people that came, black, white, Chicano. Everybody came here for one reason. They wanted to see Barack Obama. It was a moment in time that I'll never forget. And the, the vision of people in their eyes, the, the, the hope and the dreams were coming. You could just see the way they were walking towards the Capitol. Thousands and thousands of people from everywhere across the land. It was so impressive. I'll never forget that. And, and that's what Barack Obama, a black man, a re- first black man ever made president of the United States elected. That was a moment in time. And basically, we made history together. History indeed, Mr. Hoff. I mean, that that's a game changer right there in terms of that type of early endorsement and, and the groundwork, right? Those of us that do feel the groundwork that goes into winning the early states and and certainly it, it that carried over in that legacy. And yet here we are now, 2020, President Trump seeking a, a second term. What's the strategy? What What's the IBT doing? What should we all be doing? I mean, we have our our whole program here at the Federation calling into swing states and, and what have you. you. What do you make of this election, especially with the pandemic at the same time, where we can't do our door knocking that we typically do, say, here in L.A.? Well, I think, you know, it, it's, it, it's an incredible election. Because, you know, it's amazing that you know, I'm from Michigan. Michigan is basically has always been a Democratic state. For the first time in 2016, it went for, it went for Trump. Uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, unbelievable. These are basically blue states turned red. Something's wrong because he hit, he hit a keynote. He started talking about workers. For the first time, somebody used the, talked about, I'm going to open the steel mills. And it basically said people started having an idea that maybe we have a chance. And Hillary Clinton was a candidate, and I don't think she articulated that vision. You've got to basically give hope to people to talk about what I'm doing. You know, I always have a thing that I say, we don't have to take care of the rich people. The rich people are already taken care of. They have lots of money. They have their yachts or private jets. They have their mansions. They don't need any help. But the poor people, they need help. The poor guy out there working every day, who works hard every day and plays by the rules, he needs to have support. And that's the person we want to run for president. And so now, you know, we've had four years of, of, of Trump and it hasn't worked out. Uh, basically, the rich got richer again. And basically, everything has been turned around so that make sure, make sure our wages don't go up, to make sure we have a bad NLRB, to put people on the Supreme Court that don't like unions, and basically to rig the game against us. So we've got to put something, somebody new in the White House. We've endorsed, you know, uh, Vice President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and they are a great team. And they have a vision for America that we can start turning this country around. And you're right. Right now we're handicapped by the, the pandemic. We can't go door to door. We can't do the rallies, which we used to always do. Uh, I remember you and I would do rallies. We would march hundreds. We would have thousands of people. You and I would be up on the stage with the, our other Teamster leaders talking about what we're doing. And as far as you could see, you would see nothing but working people, Teamsters and other unions united in one cause. Well, maybe we can't do that now, but we can certainly get out and go to the media. We can have phone banks and people know what's going on. They know what they haven't advanced the way they wanted to. 
Now, those that have joined the Teamsters Union have advanced, but everybody didn't join the Teamsters Union. And they've been bamboozled by the gig economy and oh, you're on your own or pull yourself up by the bootstraps, your own bootstraps. Well, we know that doesn't work. And the wages of the average American, when you take inflation, haven't gone up in 20 years. They're where they started from. You know, everybody reads the same thing I do, where it says the average person, you know, can't survive one week without a paycheck or whatever measly paycheck they get because they're living paycheck to paycheck. Nothing can go wrong. Nobody can get sick. Uh, you can't have an emergency without basically crashing a family into you know, financial distress uh, and insolvency. You can't get sick because most people can't afford to even have health care. And what does he want to do? Trump wants to get rid of Obamacare. And, and, and that's unbelievable. When we need, in the middle of a pandemic, when we have 208,000 people, Americans have died, that he wants to basically stop health care for people that need it right now, to have insurance for this very difficult times, fighting the pandemic. Thousands and thousands of people are on ventilators across the country, and it's getting worse. And now he's sick with it, too him and his wife. It's just the, the final irony that that could happen. So what we have to do in these difficult times is to make sure we campaign, to make sure we elect a Democrat, to get this country back on track, to make sure we get the right NLRB, to make sure the game is not rigged against working people. And what they want to do, they want to rig the game that no matter what you do, you can't win. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, you can't get ahead. And that's what they want to do that. They want to do it with misclassification. They want to do it with, you know, alter ego companies. They want to basically never have you on where you get a W-2, where you're a regular guy, where the basically the unemployment's taken out, where you have health care, all the things that you should have as a hardworking man in America. They want to take that away and put you on your own. Well, guess what? We don't want uh, Joe Biden on Kamala Harris. That's why we're going to turn this country around. But it's going to take all of us together, and I hope everybody listening to this, if you are not registered to vote, get registered to vote and make sure you vote. And I wouldn't put it in the mail. I would find a way to get down and make sure it doesn't go through the mail. I'd put it right in the slot at City Hall. That's what I'm going to do with my ballot to make sure we get this thing done. We can do it together. It's a moment in time. You know, we always talk about, you know, Ron and I have been doing this a long time. We talk about campaigning. Uh, and we campaigned, you know, for Obama, and we've campaigned for Biden. And every time we say the same thing, this is the most important election you've ever we've ever done. And guess what? This time is the most important election ever. We've got to get together. We've got to win this election, and then you're going to see this country start turning around. We're going to have racial justice. We're going to have economic justice. We're going to have somebody that's fighting for us. Uh, I've talked to Joe Biden. I've met him several times. I've known him for 20 years. Uh, he's a good man, and he will surround himself with good people. And together, we'll get the job done. That's great, Mr. Hoff. I can. So one of the ways I can tell you mean it is because I, I hear the pounding on the desk. I, I know that that's meaning uh, that's meaning business. You know, we're we're nearing the end of the interview, and you got two questions for you. But one, you know, that that fire, right? That fire that I we still hear in your voice. You mean it. You mean business. For young folks, what's the what's the advice? Because you know, last interview we had a, uh, of course, civil rights icon Dolores Huerta. We have you. Know, one of the things we want to ask is we want these to serve as advice for, from legendary leaders like yourself. What's the advice on 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 building that fire and getting that fire for young folks who don't have the benefit of a union? 
My advice to people is get as much education as you can. Now, not, not everybody goes to college. Maybe you go to high school, but get a trade. Uh, get as much education as you can. Learn a trade. Join a union. Uh, I have friends of mine that uh, are, I have, you know, my, most of my friends are Teamsters. I know people in the steel workers. I know people in the iron workers. And they are, have gone down. They've paid their dues. And they, you know what? They've got good jobs. But you've got to join a union. It's so hard to make it by yourself today. I know people today that go to work and they'll work, you know, in the old days, you go to work for one company and you'd work there 40 years. Today, no one does that. A person might have 20 different employers and work at 20 different jobs. You know how hard it is to put together any type of a pension or any type of continuity of your life and your income and your health care, especially when you're young and raising a family. It's almost impossible. And that's why unions are so important. That's the advice I give everybody. Sir, I just got back prior to getting here to the studio to speak with you from a rally. We had a few hundred people there. We were protesting no on Prop 22 here in California. The Teamsters Union, as well as many more, but exclusively the Teamsters, have spent a lot of money out here in California. And misclassification, independent carriers could really devastate transportation in this country, create a whole new workplace model of, of app-based service workers, non-employees. Tell us why you thought it was so important to invest in California to defeat this law. Well, California is, is a state where we, we have people that believe in us. Uh, from the governor to the you know the, the the mayor of San Francisco, the mayor of of L.A., uh, the attorney general, they believe we do what we do. You pass AB five out there, which basically stop, tries to end misclassification of workers. That's what they want to do because that's the cheap way to go. They don't want you on the payroll. They want you to do all the taxes. They want you to make the contributions, and they don't want you to have a paid vacation. They don't want you. They want you to be a widget. And that's what we stand against. We have fought misclassification for 20 years. I remember when, when we had Kamala Harris as the attorney general. And she was the attorney general of California. Remember, you and I sat down with her. And we worked on misclassification back then in, you know, in, in, in the first decade. And we worked all through that. And now we did AB5. And now they're fighting back with Prop 22. I know people are going to stand up and say, hey, I want to have a good life. I want to make these companies, these multi-billion dollar corporations, make them pay their fair share. Make them pay me like they should. Give me a W-2. Pick up my workman's comp, my health care, my unemployment. Uh, make sure I'm taken care of. That's what they don't want to do. They want people off their payroll. And that's what, why we've got to win Prop 22. And that's why we've got to fight misclassification as we have for 20 years. And it's everywhere. California has the big, rich companies. And you know what makes you mad? The guys are the CEOs. They're making $100 million a year. And they have so much money. They have the yachts. They have the gated communities. They have the private jets. But they don't want you uh, to be a regular employee. That's wrong. And that's why we need unions. And that's why we got to be unified with regard to Prop 22 and beating it. Yeah, just personally, I've been in conversations at the building. 
a few of us thought it would be kind of cool for you to run for president of the United States and you told us to be quiet. <laughs> but, and, and this is serious. And, and wh- what about James P. Hoffa, labor secretary? Or well, who would be your idea. pick? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I want that job, but I, I would certainly contribute to it and help him be a good secretary of labor. But right now, we've got to get a president in there and he'll take care of get the right secretary of labor. But we got to have people that fight every day for us, whether it's in California or whether it's in Washington, D.C. And, you know, we're, the battle's going on right now. Prop 22 is, is a battle. It's the, it's the rich people fighting back. It's the rich people's revenge. <laughs> They're coming back to say, oh, no, I don't want to pay anybody right. I want to be able to cheat them out of their overtime. I want to cheat them out of this. I want them to keep their own records. I want to put the pressure on the little guy. Well, the little guy, he's trying to survive. He's doing his job of working every day, coming to work and doing a good job. And we've got to keep that going. So uh, I, I think, uh, I don't know if I want to be Secretary of Labor, but I want, I'll support uh, whoever Biden wants there. And we'll do everything we can to make sure he's successful. And that's what big unions are about, helping them get the job done. And we're doing it in California. Prior to uh, getting on and and planning for this, I told Hugo that he was going to listen to history and that he was going to tell stories to his children and grandchildren that he actually was able to interview James P. Hoffa, the IBT general president. Um, As a kid, you know, I grew up in a longshore home where Harry Bridges meant everything. But even as a, a youngster coming up, I wanted to be Jimmy Hoffa. I, and I don't know why. I wanted to kind of share those that emotional feeling uh, with Hugo. I want to pass it over to my co-host and, and ask him a question about how he feels doing this interview with you. You know, first you get over the nerves, then you, get, you settle in. And I, I think uh, everything Ron mentioned, Mr. Hoffa, is pretty correct. You're, you're just a normal guy who's done a lot of great work and legendary work for, for the IBT. And, you know, it, it's just uh, an honor to be able to speak to you and, and other folks, you know, who've joined the program as well and be able to have these conversations that can really serve as, as lessons, right? You talked about education earlier. And that education comes through these conversations, right? Because it doesn't stop here and we'll, we'll share these over and over with just any, with folks who listen and who have an interest in learning more about labor and learning about the war on workers, which continues today, right? Talk about a war on workers, you know, Prop 22, the Supreme Court, the attack on unions, and it, it's just consistent and consistent and passing out that message, I think, uh, will be a great service, really, and and part of your overall legacy uh, that folks like myself, but even the Je- the Gen Zs of the world will hear and and pass forward and hopefully carry on. So thank you for taking the time today. Well, it's a it's a it, it's great to talk to you and the new generation of people coming up. And that's what this is about. Each generation has to move the ball down the field. My father uh, put the Teamsters on the map with the first National Master Freight Agreement. He made history in 1964. 
He was the best known labor leader in America. I remember when I was a kid, we'd go for the old Sunday drive. This was before cell phones and all the distractions we had today. And we would always end up on a picket line walking with a sign when I was seven or eight years old and my dad would walk with me there. And that's where you learn about labor. And, you know, we have our fire in our belly and we've moved the Teamsters where they're at today. But there's going to be another generation coming up. And I hope those are the people listening in to say, we've moved now and now the war still goes on. The rich people are still trying to take it away. And how do we move this uh, ball down the field where we basically change a new generation, train a new generation of workers to come on and to be leaders of people to have strong unions for the next 40 and 50 years. This is the next generation that we must appeal to. We've done our job and we're gonna keep doing our job. But eventually when we move out, we're gonna make our contribution, Ron and I, and the next generation will take over. So it's very important that we educate people about what's, what's going on, about when you look at that paycheck, has it gone up? If you don't belong to a union in the past 20 years, it hasn't gone up. Now they want to put you on your own where you get a, a 1099 instead of a W-2, uh, where you don't get overtime, where they expect you to work 78 or 80 hours a week for nothing and pay you minimum wage. That's what they want to do to you, and that's what we got to fight. And that's a lot to fight for, and if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what else will. I made Hugo, sir, an honorary member of the Teamsters. In our organization, we say we're a Hoffa guy. So Hugo now is an official Hoffa guy. I just want you to know oh, I, that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, That's I, great. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for giving our listeners the opportunity to hear from someone who changed my life and gave me the opportunity the speech I gave uh, today is a reflection of you, the courage that you've given me, and I'm not done speaking, and I want to pass that on to Hugo and all the, the young unionists, no matter what, what union they're in. Thank you, but uh, um, very, very appreciative of what you, what you do, what you've done for all of us, what you've done for the movement, what you've done for the political legislative things that have changed uh, working people in this country. Thank you very much. And thank you, Mr. Hoppe. Well, thank you, Mr. Hoppe. And, and I, you know, this will, the first time we do the podcast with you, but I know it won't be the last. Hopefully next time, you know, when, when we have an actual a president that knows how to manage a national crisis and have a national leader, we'll be able to do this maybe at a Detroit restaurant or LA restaurant. Well, Ron and Hugo, I want to thank you for the chance to talk to the people out there in California, to talk to working people, to talk about our goals and our dreams. And together, we're going to get this job done together. And thank you so much for the opportunity to share my views. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. A union town, all down the line. This is a union town, a union town, all down the line. This is a union town. Hey, this is President Ron Herrera thanking you and my co-host, Brother Hugo Romero, for joining us on this episode of Welcome to Union Town. <laughs>